All right, so today's teaching might be a bit unusual, um, I, I hear that. So if you're first time guests, welcome. We're going to talk about play for the next 30 to 40 minutes or so. Um, if you've been a part of Oikos, we've been around now for about seven months, which is kind of crazy, right? And over those seven months, we've been talking a lot about Oikos's vision, missions, values, and that's what we've been teaching on a lot. Um, and with that, about three months ago, we launched Oikos groups, which are multi-generational uh, missional groups all across the city of Memphis in different parts. And those groups we've invited to, we probably know, worship together in home on the first Sunday of the month. We've encouraged you all to serve together, to reflect, to pray, to study together, and lastly, to play together. Um, and with some of those, it's probably not unusual, right? You know, your churches before have probably invited you to worship and to serve together. Not unusual. We don't bat an eye at that. But play might be a new emphasis. So Today we just wanted to give a kind of a defense of play, a reason why we think it's important for our Oikos groups to be playing together, why we think it'll form us more into the likeness of Christ. But I do want to share some of the tension that I'm feeling, and the first is that I've never really taught on play. It's kind of an unusual topic, right? You might not have ever heard a sermon on play, but what I hope you do not hear this morning is that play as an invitation to you know, put on your churchy mask. You know, everything's all right. Everything's happy, go lucky. There's not a care in the world. You put your nice church clothes on. You come to church and you just smile, even when everything else seems to be falling apart. Uh, that's not what play is or the invitation to play. In reality, what I think it is that to play well, to play in a godly way, is to, in fact, stay in reality, to stay in the moment. Because I think Jesus calls his disciples to experience the full range of emotions of sorrow and pain and heartache, but also joy and celebration. So today we want to try to feel the tension of that and to talk about it, uh, that we're meant to be in both of these places, I think. Another tension I feel is that you can't force someone to play. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Office, and if you haven't watched The Office, I'm sorry, but there's an episode, you know, the dinner party episode, uh, Michael and Jan have some people over, and they want to have like this great time, this great fun night. And of course, it's really awkward, incredibly uncomfortable. You can't force people to play. It has to be this kind of spontaneous, sincere expression of God working in our life and us enjoying that. So you can't force play. And even to really talk about it is kind of tricky, right? When you try to define it, you lose its purpose of what play is. Um, I even thought about this morning, you know, Smith is out to just you know, talk about it for five or ten minutes and then like roll out board games or something, but we'll, we'll teach instead today. So we can't force play. And I, and I love games. I love board games. Like I'm all about like an intense four-hour strategy board game, not like Monopoly or Candyland, but like real board games, right? Uh, I, I love it. It's, it's so much fun. And in fact, I'll admit that I love actually playing Dungeons and Dragons, D&D. Uh, we actually just finished up a two-and-a-half-year campaign where we met weekly to play. Like I'm all about it. It's intense, and I think I, I appreciate and enjoy the merit of games. It, it brings people together. It creates bonds and friendships and memories, right? Um, but I also feel some tension in that because before moving to Memphis, I was doing uh, youth ministry in Texas, and I remember in youth ministry, you know, before Wednesday night study or at a retreat, there just being this overwhelming sense of joy, right? There's games, it's chaotic, people are running around giggling, laughing, screaming, and it's exciting, it's joyful, but you can probably guess what happens when it turns to like the worship or the devotional times, right? It's kind of like dull, slouchy, uh, there's not a lot of excitement, 
And I remember being frustrated because it's like we have this play, but not with a lot of purpose. And in this other area, we have purpose, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of joy. So how do we merge those two? They felt so disintegrated with one another. How do we bring both into both areas of our life? To have purpose in our play, but to also have joy in our purposeful moments like worship or study. So we want to try to get into that a bit. Let's try to define, we'll see if this works. Michael, I might have to let you, it always works before and then it has trouble. Just go to the next slide. Uh, What is play? So uh, we're going to try to define play as this. The first step is play is something where we respond and participate in the joy of the Lord. That at the heart of play, it's recognizing God's uh, place in our life, where he is among us, and to actively try to participate in that. To, and that develops in some sort of activity. So our next point is that really play is the ability to be present, to be still, to be in the moment, and to recognize that God is at work in us and around us, right? So it's the ability to be present. Let's go to the next one. Play in and of itself has to be activity that happens in community. And I also think this can happen alone, but we remember that God is always with us and he's in all things, right? So play in of itself is an activity that must be communal, either with God or with other people uh, to joyfully respond and participate in the joy of God, what he's doing in the world. Let's go to the next one. Play is also um, purposeful but not productive, and this is what I mean. I think play is meant to be, uh, I love what one commentary calls it, it's wasting time with God. But when we try to make play or an activity productive, like I'm going to force myself to have fun, or I'm going to try to attempt to do this to make this happen, it kind of loses the heart of play, right? Play cannot in of itself be productive. A, I think a helpful story with this is while doing youth ministry, we took our kids on wilderness trek where you take them out into the woods in the wilderness. They go climb a mountain for a week. And the, our last day, we wake up at like 3 a.m. to go peak the top of this mountain, right? It's like the final destination. So we wake up, we're on our way, and we're like slowly moving along. Like, you know, we've got a lot of people, we're going slow. And we're about an hour away from the top. And we come across these people who are going down the mountain. And it's like these three guys, like they're built. You can tell they do this. And they're just like chugging down the mountain. And I asked our guy, like, what? like, what are they doing? Like, it's still dark out. You couldn't see the top of the mountain if you were there. And he was like, oh, they're peak baggers. They, they try to see how many peaks they can do in a day, like in 24 hours. So they wake up really early, and they just try to knock them out. And I would call that productive, right? It's not necessarily bad, but play gives us the freedom to not have to produce. We're not trying to achieve anything, but simply be in the moment of the activity of play. Let's go to the next one. Play is restful, but not escapist. So I think one of the best ways uh, play comes out is in our Sabbath rest. It can be re-energizing. You can go on a run. You can play a game with someone, and it's restful, right? It, it takes our, puts our minds at ease. But it's not escapist, though. When we play a game to try to escape from, like, the harsh realities of our life or to not think about work or that big decision I have to make, um, that kind of loses, again, the heart of play because... Play is the response to God's reality in my life. And when we escape reality, we're escaping kind of the true passion and motivation of play. So that's our working definition of play. In the the Bible, we find that play is kind of seen in a few ways. It's merrymaking, it's laughter, dancing, lots of music, and it's celebration. Uh, And we'll continue to define play as we go along, but we'll have this basic understanding 
as we move into it. But there's kind of three phases of play that we'll pick up on throughout the morning. And it is peace, freedom, delight. Peace, freedom, delight. And what I mean by that is when we engage the presence of God in our life, it brings about this natural sense of peace. That in all of us, because of sin and the brokenness of the world, we live in kind of internal conflict. But the presence of God brings about peace. And when that peace lives in us, it kind of toils uh, uh, the soil of our hearts to then to begin to experience freedom. Freedom to be who we are, who God has made us. Freedom to be silly in front of other people. We don't have to try to prove ourselves anything. But when we've experienced the peace of God, it brings about freedom and then ultimately delight joy that we participate in the Lord. So kind of keep those three phases in mind. Our text this morning is going to be 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, if you get our coffee shop Bible, it's page 263. And we're going to be looking at the story of David as he brings the ark of the Lord back into his people. So at the end of uh, 1 Samuel, we have Saul and his son Jonathan have died in battle. And at the beginning of 2 Samuel, uh, David is kind of slowly becoming king. He's got to take care of some rebellions, but he takes care, of the, takes care of those, and he is now king. He has retaken the city of Jerusalem, reclaimed it over the Jebusites, and now he's going to bring in the city, or bring in the ark of the Lord into the city of God. So let's, let's read this together, starting in verse 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baalah and Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was now on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. We're going to skip a few verses and go to verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Adam and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Adam to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. So we'll pause there. Uh, this linen ephod is, well, this will be important later, but is like priestly wear, right? It's like what the priests wear to go into the tabernacle. So he's king, but he's also taking on this priestly role. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord, with the shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So notice the disconnect, where she is in relation to everyone else. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So do you feel the excitement there? Like there is this genuine sense of joy because the presence of the Lord, this representation of God's presence in the ark is finally re-entering the city of God, the city of his people. And, and it seems like dancing and leaping and play is the natural response to that. that they, the city and David, so it's this communal act of everyone is just ecstatic 
that the ark of the Lord is coming back into uh, God's presence. And what's important about the ark is that the ark was, remember, kept at the center of the Holy of Holies. So the tabernacle was this tent of meeting where God's people were present with God in the wilderness and now in the city of Jerusalem. So the ark was at the middle of this, at the core of it. And notice the language there. It talks about how God is enthroned in the cherubim. It is like his, his footstool. It is his throne. This very much uh, represented the presence of God. And it also represented inside of it, there was manna, saved manna from the wilderness, this thing that reminded God's people of his faithfulness, that he provided for them in the wilderness when they were so unfaithful to him. Also in this was the Ten Commandments, this gift from God of the law, of how to be in the presence of God, how to live rightly in front of God. And these things are coming back into it. But what's so beautiful about the ark and the tabernacle is that the people of God, as they're entering it, they're celebrating, they're singing, they're playing music, but in their mind, they're also thinking of God as creator and specifically to God in the garden. Because in the tabernacle is this imagery of garden. We have uh, gold lace, this kind of flowery image. We have the menorah, the candles, which represent the tree of life. The, this holy of holies, the tabernacle, represented really the garden of Eden. So David, in this priestly role, is coming to the city of God with God's presence, and their minds are being brought back to God as creator in the garden. And this is really important, and I want to read a quote from a, a commentator who talks about this, because really they're envisioning David here as the new Adam, this new person who's going to bring them into relationship with God. And one commentator puts it like this, Only in light of the connection to Adam can we fully understand the energetic dance of the king before the ark of God. Because in the, in the garden, Adam walked in easy fellowship with God, walking in step, moving as he moved. He danced in unison with God. Sin is nothing but falling out of step with God and insistence upon dancing to one's own rhythm. The whole of history of salvation might be characterized as God's attempt to restore the sacred dance, to get his human creatures to move with them. Isn't that beautiful? That that is what this is, that dancing with the Lord is just trying to get back in step with God, the joy of the Lord in our midst. And what's interesting is that the Garden of Eden, that word Eden in Hebrew has this idea of pleasure, paradise, and delight. It's the place where we are in the delightful presence of the Lord. So we're getting this imagery that God is creator, and that's where our hearts and souls are meant to be placed. And that really brings us to our first point of play is that God is playful creator. And what I mean by that is a lot of people who try to think of like the nature of God, who is he say that creation is in fact evidence to God's playfulness. Uh, Austin did a great job. He read for us this really long psalm, but do you remember the language in it? It celebrated the lions and the goats and the uh, valleys and the mountains, the seas, all these animals and creations gave evidence to God's playful creativity. Because the idea is, if God is God, then nothing is forced upon him. It's all optional. It's all by choice. So if God made creation the way he did, he chose to. He chose to make humans with the ability to see a wide variety of colors. He gave us a wide variety of landscapes to live in, of fruits and vegetables, wines that gladden hearts, uh, plants for the cattle to eat, all these things God has made purposefully for us to enjoy. And it shows his wisdom, his creativity in it. One commentator put it, and I love this, he said, 
It's hard to look at an animal like the platypus or like those goats that scream and not imagine that God has like some sort of sense of humor, right? Like they're just silly. They're just playful. And that's God in creation. He is making evident that he is God who is playful, is joyful. It's just a part of who God is. And this gets us to our second point is that we are created in the same way, that we are created to play. Notice in our second Samuel text is that God does not have to command David to play, right? He doesn't command them to dance like, okay, you're going to do two steps this way, two steps that way. It's natural. It's, it's sincere. He'd have to teach them to do that. They just naturally played in the presence of God. Um, when I was preparing the sermon, Natalie knew I was talking about play, and she happened to be reading a magazine. Uh, and, an article in the magazine is why adults should play more, which I was like, oh, that's kind of perfect. So I'm going to read just a few kind of facts about this. And the first is the evidence that adults need to play, what we are created to play, um, and this wasn't from a Christian perspective, so just scientific, social understanding. And they first note the idea that we have so many activities now, like businesses made for adults, like escape rooms or like axe throwing. You do not want kids going in throwing axes, right? And those kids are not going to escape from those rooms. These are things made specifically for adults to do, to play together. Uh, there's a new popularity in like adult coloring books that just sit and be creative and it's for adults as well. And they also mentioned in this article, which I never heard of this, but that there are adult summer camps, like midlife camps. So you can go back and revisit what it meant to be like a child. I was like, I had never heard of that. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, in this article, she references a Dr. Sharon Shin, who is, studies psychology of leisure, which I was just learning all sorts of new things studying this topic. But she writes, Adults who engage more frequently in joyful activity are, and I quote, emotionally adept and socially connected, better able to cope with stress. Overall, they often report higher well-being and life satisfaction, people who play. Uh, Dr. Stuart Brown, uh, who is from the National Institute of Play, argues that one of our seven primary brain circuits that we are born with, that we're pre-wired with, is to play. He writes, the drive to play is as fundamental as our drive for food and sleep. He says that adults who do not play lack optimism and resiliency, but it gets even more so extreme for children who do not play. He says that children who lack play uh, often quickly have quickly increases in the prevalence of depression, lack of empathy, addictive predilections, they have poor impulse control, and mood-driven behaviors. It seems that a part of our human flourishing is that we lean into this activity of play, of joyfully being in the presence of the Lord. And I think this is like, you know, those studies are interesting, they're pretty compelling, but I don't think we really need that to prove that point, that we are made to play. I think if you're here on a Sunday morning and you see our kids running around causing chaos, like we don't have to teach our kids, kids to play, they just do it. And some of the adults are probably like, yeah, they play too much, you know, like they, they don't cool down. But we look around and we see our kids playing and they just do it naturally. We don't have to tell them to do that. So it seems as if there is something about being in the brokenness of our world, the sinful world around us, that the longer and longer we live in it, the harder it is to experience joy. It's harder to play together the older and older we get. And I wonder if this is why Jesus in Matthew says this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never 
enter it. You have to wonder if part of the kingdom of God is meant that we receive it joyfully, that we're not doing it just to get out of hell, to get the reward, but there's something about right now we can experience the pleasure and the goodness of what it means to be in the presence of God, and that changes who we are. It changes and gives us peace and freedom to live into the fullness of what God has called us into, an abundant and full life, like Jesus says in John 10.10. But we live in a broken world that we get into relationships and we get hurt and we become less trusting. And when we become less trusting, we don't let people in. And we don't let people in, we don't have intimate relationships. And who are we to, to be joyful with, to play with, if we do not have close friendships? We live in a hurried world where we have work, life, kids, balance. It's so hard to be still and present. But if we cannot be still, how can we begin to grow in our awareness of God in our life? And we also live in a sinful world where we are full of guilt and this inner shame and conflict because either sin has been done to us or we have sinned and hurt other people. And that sin and that guilt and that shame creates barriers, they create uh, blockages to the peace that God is offering to us. But you see, that's what Jesus came to do, is to bring peace. We have David who kind of serves as this priestly, kingly figure. He's bringing the presence of the Lord back into their presence, and they're thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the promised land, the kingdom that God had promised for us. But quickly we know that David is not going to be that person. But there's one of the line of David who will be, that Jesus came to to bring peace And Jesus says this in John 14. And what I think is beautiful about this is in John 14, he is teaching and preaching on the Holy Spirit, the like ultimate presence of God in the middle of us, in our hearts, dwelling with us is God's Spirit. And he writes this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, that's what we need to get into next is that what we are searching for is for this peace to enter into our lives, to remove the conflict. And that's what Jesus on the cross does. There's this separation from God's presence in our life through sin that Jesus has wiped away to bring peace, but also to bring peace that we must live into that freedom, to live freely who we are. Uh, And so many times freedom uh, is blocked, like I mentioned, by sin. Uh, Richard, Father, sorry, Dallas Willard in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, talks about this idea of part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we abandon defensiveness, the abandon defensiveness, that so many times sin creates these barriers in our lives to where we block people off or we block our awareness of God. But what Jesus does, it comes into our hearts to bring peace, but then also bring freedom, to uh, appreciate and live into the freedom that God has called us into. And we see this in our story in 2 Samuel. The one who is not celebrating, the one who is not rejoicing is Michael. Michael is the daughter of Saul, brother of Jonathan, and rightfully so, she is distraught. She despises David, and it's complicated because she's just lost her father, and her husband, who also has other wives, is now king and ruling the world. Like Her situation is complicated. So we don't want to discredit that, but she's also not being able to experience the presence of the Lord, and that's heartbreaking, isn't it? That there's things in this world, hurt relationships, hurt people, that block our ability to be in the presence of God. And that's what playing does, is it reopens and practices being with the presence of the Lord to experience, I think, a joy-filled life. Because that's kind of the tension, is 
We want to be people who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But learning to play deeply and to play well means that we believe God is in both. God is in the rejoicing that he is in the mourning, right? That he is there to be found and to be celebrated and to be the hope when there seems to be nothing else going on. But as a community, we seek it together in both spaces, in the mourning and in the rejoicing and also in our purpose of playing and our playing of purpose where we get those together. Lastly, before we get into kind of some practical stuff, I want to talk about play as a foreshadowing of the kingdom to come. So we also have this idea, and David is coming in, right? He is establishing this kingdom, but we know that he is not going to be the fulfillment of that. Uh, he is a very sinful person. And we know that that's what Jesus came to do. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news of who God is, and this world, this place where there is no more sin, there is no more heartache, there's no more tears, a place where we live fully as community in God. But we are not yet in that world. And that's the tension that we live in, right? Is that we are not in this place where the joy of the Lord can be experienced fully. But when we play together, we are foreshadowing what that kingdom will be like. And this is what the prophets talk about. They know that David is not this person. David's sons are not going to be those people. Solomon was not that person. The prophets time and time again are teaching and preaching on there's going to be this one, this line of David, who will ultimately bring the kingdom of God. And this is what they say about this kingdom, about this place. Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Notice this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. So imagine this. Zechariah is writing a time of, of, of just chaos and pain for the people of God. And he says that there's going to be a kingdom where God is present, but where the old men and the old women can sit in the streets and just be content. There's no more war to fight. We're not losing our men to battles. Our women are not becoming widows. In fact, that's kind of the tension here is that Zechariah has just talked about widows and orphans, the most vulnerable, but in the city of God, they can live in peace and freedom and delight because the kingdom of God has returned. So we have old men and women just being content, sitting and enjoying the presence of God in his city. And then we have little children playing in the streets. So when we play, and this is kind of what Kevin talked about, when we play today, when we look out into the chaos of the world around us, we are participating and bringing hope to one another, saying, this is not yet fully yet, but we can engage in the presence of God right now, and one day it will be fulfilled. Like the, the world that we live in is just so broken. Did y'all hear what happened last night? Uh, there was a man arrested who had six assault rifles in his apartment. He had just broken up with his girlfriend. He was distraught. Luckily, police intervened before he could act, but he said that he wanted to kill himself and anyone that he can find, and he wanted to go to this concert at the FedEx Forum. That was in our city. That we live in such brokenness and such despair, it's almost unfathomable to talk about joy. And that's what I kind of feel, right? How are we going to talk about this? How are we going to practice this 
And there seems to be so much going on in the Lord. But we have this hope that God is faithful, that he can be found in any situation. And if God can be found, then there is some glimmer of peace to hold on to. And if there is peace, there can be freedom. If there can be freedom, there can be joy and playful uh, just union with one another to engage in what God is doing in our world. So let's get practical for just a few moments. Uh, I haven't really talked about like the what of play. Like, oh, you go do this, you can go do that. Um, but what I see play is, is it's anything that actively engages our awareness of God in our life. Um, and I, I like this much better. It's anything that opens up doors or pathways to be with God. Uh, I don't love the language of like, well, is that good or is that bad? So just simply ask the question, does this bring me closer to God? Does this activity and community do that? Does it bring me closer to God? Um, I want to talk about some things that you might be asking. That's if, you know, well, what if I don't like this activity? You know, our group is going to go swim this month. I don't love swimming. Uh, I don't like getting wet and then being wet like outside of the, like I don't like water parks. But it's going to be a joyful time because it's not a matter of the what, it's the who and the why behind it. I think a great example of this is parents with a new baby, right? And they become more and more aware. You can start playing peekaboo. Right? Like, that's not a stimulating game. You know, we're not actually hiding. We're not going anywhere. There's no strategy to it. But what makes it fun is you're playing with your, your new child, your new baby. So it's, it's, the, it's the who and the why. So that there can be joy and play in playing peekaboo, even if it's not like a fun, quote-unquote, game. So as we kind of brainstorm and pray together, what's going to be our rhythm of play? What are we going to do together I encourage us to emphasize and remember the what, or the who and the why, the who and the why of the games that we play together. And I think that'll open us up to just so many uh, different ways of doing it. And I think that's why we live in diverse communities of different ages, different generations, is that we can help each other, teach one another what to play, how to play, let's try this thing out. Uh, it's all, I think, beautiful. One writer who talks about play, there's a book called The Theology of Play, which is pretty interesting, uh, but he writes in there that it's a shame that adults forget how to play. Because one of the most prevalent ways in scripture that people play is through instruments. And instruments are a really interesting idea of creativity, which I think is at the heart of play and freedom. Because imagine a jazz player, it seems spontaneous, it seems adaptable, it seems free, but what we all know under that is this very much experience, skill, and practice that they've engaged with. So to play well, I think it does take some practice. And the older and older we get, we don't have to get more grouchier, more upset, more hardened. But really, the older we get, we can become experts in play. To where at the end of our lives, we can go on what would seem like a boring, pointless, frivolous walk. But it can be just play in the presence of God. Just being in his presence, right? Simple things as taking a walk, be, even being at work. The more and more we practice play, the more we become open to God's presence in our life, I think. So, uh, Oikos groups playing together. Let's end with just, I think, a few like hopeful fruits. Because remember, you can't force play. You can't make it productive. But I do think there are some ways in which there are fruits that will come about. So let's talk about a few of those. Go to the first one. I think we remember how to be joyful. And I think this is why, again, I mentioned we live in multi-generational Oikos groups. That our kids uh, help us remember how to play right? They, they keep us alive. They keep us young. Um, and we just remember how to play together. We remember how to be joyful. Let's go to the next one. 
uh, develop meaningful relationships. So this is one I, I think I had to pray about a lot because I think there's a neuroscience to explain that when we play together, we are naturally creating bonds. We are naturally growing closer as a family. But when we invite people to play, I think we're also inviting people to mourn. And this is, is what I mean. I think a lot of times that we have people in the church who we might be familiar with or just kind of we know their name who go through a severe tragedy or loss. And, and we want to go be there with them. We want to go say something. But we've had like two conversations with them. It almost feels like inauthentic, right? It feels disingenuous to go try to mourn with this person. But what play does is it, it kind of develops, it tills the soil of the relational groundwork so that we can first laugh together and it opens the relational door to then mourn together. It, it's hard to mourn with someone when you have not first laughed with them. So the invitation to play is, I think, deeply serious. Because the more we play together, the more we can take care of our community, right? The more that we are joyful with one another, the easier it is to step into those difficult moments of tragedy and loss with each other. Let's go to the next one. Let's end, let's end with this one. Let's go to the next one. We'll come back. Uh, I think it also gives space to ask deeper questions. Uh, this is one of our graces, our habits here at Oikos, but this is what I mean. I, I love that we do this monthly. I mean, hopefully you're playing very often in your life, but at least once a month, you're going to be invited into a space to play together, to experience the joy and just being with God. And what I envision is in months and months down the road, we might be doing great. I'm experiencing the joy. I'm experiencing community. But then one Sunday or one time you get together and you just feel disconnected. You feel distracted and it's hard to engage in that space. And then maybe another month goes by and you feel similar. And it's just hard to like, I couldn't be in the moment. It was hard to really be present. And then another month goes by and the same thing. I think as Oikos groups that this is almost like a mile marker, a checkstone to say, Man, the past few times we've done this, I have not been able to be present. I, I, I think and I feel that there's something blocking me from the joy of the Lord. Can we talk about that? Can we enter a time of praying about that? Because there's something happening where I'm not connecting with God, and I want to remove that barrier. So playing together monthly, I think, acts as a asking deeper questions practice. If when we cannot do so, why is that? Um, in the fall here, we're going to be talking about something called freedom prayer which I'm just so excited about. It's this ministry in which people can come to God in prayer and community and to identify these barriers, these, uh, these wounds, these entanglements, these sins, these un- sins, these ungodly beliefs, and we can just help, hopefully in community remove those. We're going to be talking about that more in the fall, but that's what we're meant to do in community is to remove these barriers that, do, that block the freedom and peace and joy that God has offered to us. So let's end with inviting others to encounter God. Um, I remember a few months ago, our group went to the Levichel concert to just kind of enjoy the band. It was great. Um, and I remember during this, this time that Lola and Juliet, who's in our, the Frizzells in our group, uh, we were just kind of laying there, sitting, enjoying the music. And Lola and Juliet kept getting the adults to go dance, right? Like, they just wanted to dance. They wanted to have fun. Um, and, like, we'd, I'd go, like, dance for a little bit, get tired and sweaty, go lay back down. Lola would come back, drag me up, pull me by my shirt, and I just remember thinking about that, like that's what our community is meant to do together. That when we do not feel like being joyful, when life is difficult, our community picks us up and it invites us to re-enter the dance with God, to re-enter this space of joyful union with God. So I hope that these are what our groups do together, is that we invite one another to just be joyful in the presence of God. 
And it takes a community to do that because there are seasons where it is difficult and it is hard to be joyful. But we are trying to foreshadow the kingdom of God to show people that there's a life out there that is abundant, that is beautiful, that is playful, that takes seriously the hurt and the pain, but it's because that we sit in the reality of that that we can play and hope well with God. Let me read a psalm, and we will close with that. Please stand with me. Psalm 126. And after this, you'll need to go get your kids so they can keep playing with you, right? Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying grain with them. Y'all are dismissed. Thank you all.